This is something we don't normally do either. Hit it, maestro. Our piano. Oh, there it is. Okay, yeah. song, don't you? That's a good one. Yeah, we, uh, we figured Brother Josh would have to play for me, and I figured it might be nice just to have a duet instead today, and so we did something we don't normally do. Normally, we rarely, if ever, play things through the system. We love live music here. It just so much, just fills the room so much better, but boy, we thank the Lord for the technology that we had today. We were able to do that today under these circumstances, but I'm glad you're here, 
and uh, looking forward to what the Lord has in store for us. Take your Bible, if you would. Turn over to the book of John, chapter 14. John, chapter 14, verse 18. We're going to read one verse today, and then we're going to move along in our message. But again, we appreciate you being a part of the service. And again, I just want to uh, just, uh, just say, you know, have a wonderful Thanksgiving and uh, just enjoy uh, all the food and stuff. I mean, boy, I don't know about you, but it's the, the best of times and the worst of times Thanksgiving is. You know, you just love it, but then you regret it after you're done eating. But boy, it's the best and the worst of times. It's, it's unbelievable, but, you know, but I love Thanksgiving, and I love, uh, I love just the, the, the holiday. I love this stretch of the, the year and so forth, and uh, I just pray that we'll just continue to keep Christ in our mind along the way. All right, John chapter 14, verse 18, we read there in the passage, I will not leave you comfortless, Jesus said. I will come to you. Now, we understand that in this particular passage, the disciples, of course, have recognized that things seem to be going in the wrong direction somewhat. I mean, they're anticipating, they're expecting to ultimately rule and reign with Jesus Christ, and yet he's reminding them that it may not turn out quite the way they had anticipated. But he does remind them also that I'll not leave you comfortless. If I go away, and it is in your best interest that I do, he says, I promise I will come to you. We sing a song around here called um, <clears throat> He Lives. It goes like this. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. It goes on to say, in all the world around me, I see his loving care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that he is leading through all the stormy blasts, the day of his appearing will come at last. He says, rejoice, rejoice, O Christian. Lift up your voice and sing eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King. The hope of all who seek him, the help of all who find, none other is so loving, so good and kind. He lives, he lives, he lives, he lives. What a wonderful truth that is. I wonder sometimes, however, as much as we sing that song and as many times as we lift our voice and, 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 and singing it even in our church, do we really think about those words? Do we really embrace the truths and the reality that the Word of God teaches us even in retrospect to this song? He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. You know, from the very moment that the women heard those fateful words, he is not here for he is risen as he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. From that very moment, I want you to know that Jesus lived in that sense. He was no longer dead. He was alive. Although the world and although the devil thought that he would be buried for good and out of the question in, 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 that he would not be involved in the lives of mankind, no, he rose from the dead like no other leader ever has because he was God-man. He wasn't just a man, he was God-man. 
The question hasn't been either whether he lives or not from that point on, but is he alive in your life? Is he alive in my life? You know, we live in a very dark day, don't we? If you've lived any life at all, if you've lived any years at all, you know that things seem somewhat grim, it seems, at least on the surface. I mean, we look around us and we're seeing life change. We're seeing our culture change. We're like, what in the world is going on? Can I tell you that's by design? In 2 Corinthians, turn, if you would please, to chapter 4, verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, and this is very important to note, in whom the God of this world, notice it's little g-God, not big g-God, little g-God, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. It's so obvious today that there is an orchestrator, that there's some administrator, there's someone in charge of this, that this isn't just simply man coming up with his own schemes and ideas. This is a God, little g-God, who's brought about the wreckage and the carnage in our culture. Because we are in a spiritual battle today. In the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the Bible says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The great battle in our lives is not with our wife or our husband. It's not with uh, our boss at work. It's not with the pastor or a leader in church. It's not with our teenager who seems to be going a different direction and unwilling to yield to our authority. No, the greatest greatest battle we face is a spiritual battle. It's hard to fight against the powers that be. But then again, that's nothing new. I think of the early church. Think about the persecution that they endured. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 14. We'll start there. In Acts chapter 5, verse 14, we read that, and believers were the more added to the Lord. Notice it says, multitudes both of men and women. I mean to tell you, this was a portion in history where people were coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. The outpouring of the Spirit of God was so real. Salvation was just, man, at every turn, someone was coming to Christ. Someone was receiving the Lord Jesus. Multitudes of men and women. Wow, was that an exciting time, I'm sure. And yet, if we fast forward to Acts chapter 8, verse 3, we're going to note something very different that includes these men and women now. On one hand, they're rejoicing as they've received the Savior, Jesus Christ. But on the other hand, we're going to note now in chapter 8, verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women, committed them to prison. These same men and women that were saved just a few chapters prior, these men and women who saw such hope in Christ, these men and women who knew the saving power of Jesus, 
We're now being persecuted like never before. These same men and women. In A.D. 64, Emperor Nero sought to burn down Rome. And he did that for a reason. He did that because he wanted to bypass the Senate and he wanted to rebuild Rome in his own image, to his own liking. They say that in the aftermath of that particular fire, two-thirds of Rome was destroyed, literally burned down. And according to the historian Tacitus, Emperor Nero then turned around and decided to blame the Christians. It would be six years later that Nero would send his great general Titus to destroy Jerusalem even. I'm sure this is all on the shoulders of of this event. Obviously, the Christians had now been villainized, and they are now taking it on the chin. A great persecution arose as a result of the burning down of Rome. They say in Jerusalem, as it was being sieged, that one million died, and 97,000 were taken captive. We have no clue what that is like. The entire Vietnam War saw 52,000 or 55,000 people die as a result. We can't even imagine one battle, one city being taken and over a million people dying. I'm not saying that we take lightly what transpired then. I'm not saying that those lives are not valuable, nor are they important. No, I say they gave their lives for our freedoms. May I say that we cannot allow those freedoms to go on to the wayside because they did die with a purpose whether politically motivated or not, whether we believe in the cause or not, the fact is is that every man, woman, boy, and girl that lost their lives in battles around this world on behalf of America lost them trying to preserve our liberties and our freedoms. How dare they try to steal our freedoms and our liberties today after what it cost to gain them. Nero found a great opportunity to persecute the believer And despite his roar and vicious attack, this little G-God could not overcome the believer. The Christian was still victorious. But Satan went from being from the roar of the lion now to the subtleness of seduction. He changed his tactics through history. Where once we see him threatening the believer, now he simply tempts the believer. And although that kind of warfare is not nearly as bloody on the outside, it has proven to be extremely effective in redirecting the passion and the pursuit of believers from Christ to the world. Turn, if you would, to 1 John 2.15. I want to show you something interesting. And once you get to 1 John 2.15... I'm going to ask you to put your finger there or something there and then go back, uh, go to, not, go back to to James. I want you to go to James chapter 4, verse 4. So 1 John 2, 15, and then look at James 4, 4. We're going to, so we're going to have both. And I want to note both those scriptures for a moment. This is a little bit of a sidebar. It's kind of a little extra for free. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Again, a a passage that's rather familiar, and I think probably if you've been in church any length of time, you'll say, oh, I I know this verse. 
It says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Again, 1 John 2.15, love not the world. Now, I would say that probably in the crowd today, if we would poll each and every one, we'd find that we'd say, no, 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 I don't love the world. And you know what? I, I wouldn't argue with you. I don't believe that you intentionally or consciously would say, oh, I, I love the world. I don't believe you'd say that. I don't believe that that's probably even true uh, to some degree. However, watch this, though. James 4.4. 4. See, 1 John 2.15 is not the only standard by which God judges us. Notice what he says in James 4.4. 4. <clears throat> ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the Friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone says to me, do you love the world, preacher, I'd have to say, I don't love the world. I mean, I... are you a friend of the world, though? I mean, I want you to think with me for a moment. What does it mean to be a friend? What does it mean to befriend someone? What, what kind of attributes, qualities does that imply. I mean, we want to be accepted, and in friendship, we accept our friends, and we, we, we tolerate certain things. We put up with certain things. We, we, we want to be accepted. We want to be loved. We want to be received. Uh, question, are you a friend of the world? Is there an element of friendship? I think if we be honest with ourselves, each and every one of us, in a sense, somewhat befriend the things of this world, or the people of even of this world, or the 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 the, the the characteristics of this world. It's not enough to simply say, I don't love the world. Are we a friend to the world? The devil is very, very subtle. And the Bible says if we befriend the world, if there's a friendship between us and the world, then we're the enemy of God. That's really serious business. The early church faced tremendous persecution. But you know what? Today, we are facing a moral and ethical decline that is unparalleled in our day. Notice I said our day. Because it's been around before. I mean, there have been cultures through history that have been even more decadent than we even find ourselves to this day in this moment. But for us as Americans, if we've lived any life at all, as I've mentioned already, it just seems that we are on a horrible slide. My children, they love those, they used to love those slip and slides, they used to call them, I think. And you'd, you'd get them, they're like a, kind of a plastic, and, and you'd take water, a hose, and you'd spray them all down and get them real wet, and the kids would go running full steam. And even when I was a little younger, I did some of that. I don't do it as much now. You'd dive belly first or backside first, and shoo, you went sliding so fast on that slippery thing. You try to get it to go downhill so the water would keep moving forward. You keep spraying it as they're sliding. Man, they're moving. You're flying, buddy. And you know what? It seems to me that the moral and ethical climate of our country and our culture is on a slip and slide. And it's moving faster than ever. Man, we have gone from A to Z like overnight, it seems. And I don't know about you, but if we're not careful and we find ourselves watching the liberal media, we find ourselves focusing on the mainstream news. If we see ourselves 
allowing ourselves to be saturated and, and, and consumed with everything going on around us, let me tell you, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to find ourselves even depressed. In Isaiah 5.20, the Bible says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. He says, Woe unto them. Again, that woe is directed to those who have redefined good and redefined evil. Hey, if you can know where that light is, shut it off, would you? It's driving me crazy. I don't know why that's doing that, but I'd rather have no, oh, wrong ones. That one can go back up. Keep going, because i got to see my beautiful face. <laughs> okay. Oh, come on now. Watch it. There ain't that many over here in the auditorium, but I don't need to hear it from you, because I know what you're implying. All right, we'll figure it out, okay? We'll figure it out. Don't worry about it at this point, then. It's kind of crazy. Hey, I tell you, just flip them all on. Who cares? That's worse. Yeah, I, I don't, whatever. Okay, whatever. I, I don't know. It seems like she should be able to have more. But, but does that make any sense to anybody else in this place that all these lights, you know that those lights right there are 10000 not 10000 Let's see, they were $300 a piece. One, two. There's nine or ten of them. That means there's $3,000 worth of lights, and we can't get them to work right. Isn't that amazing or whatever? So anyway, that's, that's crazy, isn't it? All right. So <clears throat> we find here that then it, it, is it that woes directed to those that redefine good and evil. That's great, brother. The only safe definition then of good and evil, and this is important then, is found in the Word of God. That's, that's the only, only sure thing we have is the word of God. The only safe destination of good, uh, uh, definition of good and evil is found in the Bible then. You know, there's too many armchair quarterbacks today that are, that are defining what right is and wrong is. It doesn't work that way. You ever watch a football game at the house and everybody's saying, this is what they need to do and this is what needs to take place. And if they would only run this play, you know, we're all good armchair quarterbacks. But can I tell you, there's only one real captain his name, Lord Jesus Christ, and his, he defines what is right and wrong, what is good and evil. I mean, how does God define abortion? How does God define sodomy or divorce or laziness or irresponsibility or stealing or rebellion or disobedience? How does God define those things? And before we answer that question, we need to find out and ask ourselves a quick, simple question here. Is it God or is it man that's changing? If things in our culture are changing, is it God or man? Well, the Bible says in Malachi 3, 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. I am the Lord, I change not. Now, I don't know about you, but that's an important statement there in Malachi because he's speaking to God's people there at that point, and he's saying, I'm the Lord God, I change not. 
I want you to know, he's saying, it's important that you recognize as my people that I don't change. Why is that so important to you and I? Why was that important to the Israelite? I'll tell you why. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. He's saying, you have rebelled against me. You've gone in the other direction. You've chosen to say no to me. You've been rebellious in all your attitudes, your actions. You've even chased after other gods. You've even went ahead and put your own children on the altars of Molech and other deities that are not biblical, but are unscriptural, these false gods. Let me tell you something. If I changed, if I character changed, then you would all perish and you'd be consumed. But I am a merciful God, and I am the same merciful God before, during, and after your sin. I'm so glad God doesn't change. Because if he did, my sin would be done. I would be done because of my sin. But he is a merciful God, and he doesn't change. But can I tell you, he doesn't change in what is wrong and right either. The very thing that promises and offers me mercy and forgiveness in the long run, an unchanging God is the same God that I will face at the judgment seat. It's the same God that they'll face at the great white throne. It's an unchanging God. And can I tell you, the thing that doesn't change about it is him, his character and his word. And the culture around us is being moved and motivated by emotion like never before. And the fact is today is that we have everyone saying everyone ought to have the same opportunity. Everybody ought to be taken care of. Everybody ought to have uh, be accepted and loved for who and what they are, what they decide they want to be. It doesn't matter what truth is. All that matters is that everybody's kind, considered, and loving to everybody. That's an emotional element. That is not a truth element. I'm going to tell you, our culture is being ripped and destroyed and disintegrating before our very eyes. America, what we used to have and what we believe to be right and wrong and where we stood as a nation and the future of our families and the future of our, 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 our children, it doesn't even look the same now. It's, it's, and, and can I tell you why? Because we feel like this is what's best. We feel like this is what we should do. We feel like we should be kind to this person and care for them and let them continue. In that. Listen, I don't care where you stand politically speaking, but my friend, you don't let people go out into the cities and wreck and destroy personal property and say it's okay because they've been so abused through the last 400 years. My friend, that is a lie from Satan. This idea that abortion is okay because one woman out of how many thousands was raped and now we're telling her she can't have an abortion? My friend, that's an emotional issue. That is not a truth issue. That child is still just as alive as any other child. And someone will say, certainly, well, wait till it's your daughter. Wait till it's your wife. Wait till that happens. Then you'll see. Well, then we'll have to see. But my friend, it won't change what God says whether I change or not. And the fact is, is that we have lost sight of the truth today. And because of that, we live in a very degenerate, a very degraded, a very wicked, sinful culture because we allow our emotions to dictate and determine what right and wrong is. This book is still God's word. And my friend, when you and I violate this book, we violate the character and nature of God. I'm all about being kind to people. My heart goes out to folks that are in bondage and enslaved to homosexuality and sodomy. I, I tell you, I feel so bad for young people today that are being told there's over 100 genders. Can you, are you kidding me? 100 genders? 
You know what that means? You can define yourself however you choose, and you are just as right as I am, just as right as the next person. My friend, there is only two genders, and God defines them with the, the equipment that he gives. It's ridiculous. And so we are allowing a world to dictate and determine what truth is when God has defined it. My friend, as believers, we do not have the right to let anyone else define truth and right other than our God. Listen, the basis of our faith and foundation of our practice is the same as it's always been. It's the word of God. And listen, you, listen, it, you know as a pastor how hard it is when someone in your church family comes to you and says, my son or daughter is leaning toward homosexuality and you have to address that issue. Do you know how much you want to say, you know what, it's okay, you, you know, just love on them and just accept them and then deal with it. Well, what about their boyfriend, their girlfriend? Oh, let them over, let them enjoy it, just do whatever. Hey, at what point do we draw a line in the sand and say, hey, listen, you're my son or you're my daughter, and I will love you forever, and you are welcome in my home, my son or daughter. Don't bring your boyfriend or girlfriend over. What, are we going to ever draw any lines in the sand anymore? And listen, it started a long time ago with what we call living together. There's, in my opinion, there is no difference Biblical truth is biblical truth. God says that that's just as wicked as anything else. This idea somehow that a homosexual is worse than some whoremonger that's running around with a boy or girl, hey, it's wrong. Immorality and sexual promiscuity is wrong no matter what. You go ahead and call it whatever you want. You can put levels on different sin, but God's saying it's just as bad, it's just as wrong. But it is, we do see a decline in Romans chapter one, and we recognize where we're going with this. You think that we are wicked? You should see Rome before it fell. And by the way, they, they instituted pedophilia in their culture, and it became very normal. Can I tell you that that's the direction we're going in our nation? It won't be long that children will be allowed to be with adults. This is sickening what's going on in our world because we're basing everything on feeling. Now, again, I'm getting off track, and it's just I guess it's because I've been out with the COVID, and I'm just a little foggy. I can blame everything on COVID now for the next year. It seems that the politicians are blaming everything on COVID, so I'll use their logic. Can I tell you today, we are fortunate today in spite of all of this. As we look around us, I don't know about you, but it just grieves me to no end to watch what's happening in our nation and our country. Grieves me to watch truth being thrown out the window to see sin running rampant in our culture. But can I tell you, we have a real Savior today. A real Savior. Listen, we can look at every, every one of us in this place can look at someone and say, you know, in my past, there was someone that came to my aid probably. Now, there are always exceptions, so I'm sure there's somebody who go, nobody's ever stepped up for me. I know that, and if that's you, I feel for you. I, I really do. But most of us at some point can say there was somebody that stepped up. There was somebody that came to my aid. There was somebody that got me through a difficult time or spared me some terrible outcome. And as true as that is, let's be honest, their ability to save is subject to their own health, their own wealth, or their opportunity. But can I tell you that Jesus Christ, the Savior, is unlimited in resources and opportunity? 
He is the real deal. In facing any situation and circumstance, I promise you, he is a savior. In Hebrews 13, 8 again, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same in power. He's the same in position as he's always been. And he has the same desire to save. And that desire is not limited based on who you are, what gender you are, what race you are, what nationality you are. He is a real savior. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever... Hey, by the way, it's not hard to come to the rescue of a newborn baby that's in a basket outside your door. You step out the door and you see that little baby there, that innocent little thing, and you think to yourself, my, oh, my, how could somebody leave a baby at my door and be so hard and so cold-hearted to do so? Man, you pick that child up and you wrap it in your arms and you take it in and you say, well, I'll at least feed it. I'll take care of it till somebody that can watch it, somebody that can raise it will take care of it. I may not be able to take that child into my home myself, but for the time being, until somebody will, I'll care for it. It's not hard to do that. In that case, we're all pretty good saviors, aren't we? But on the other hand, let some full-grown man that's derelict in his character, destitute, dirty, and down and out, lay outside of our door seeking shelter. That's another level of savior for us, isn't it? I mean, when it comes to you and I, by the way, let's be very honest and be very careful. We are not the innocent baby in character, but rather the derelict drifter seeking shelter. And yet, despite our total depravity, despite our wicked state, despite our hopeless predicament, Jesus steps up to the plate and he takes us in. He's a real savior. Not only that, we have a resurrected savior. Oh, I know we live in dark times. I know that the difficult situation we are facing, I realize that we are up against it, so to speak, but my friend, we have a real Savior and we have a resurrected Savior. After enduring the mock trial with its false accusations and misrepresentations, after enduring the merciless beatings and the senseless abuse, after being subjected to the irrational hatred and the humiliation Jesus took his place on Calvary, the perfect Lamb of God, God's substitute for sin. There he died, paying the penalty of sin, death. He was buried. But when the women arrived at the tomb that first morn, he was not there, for he was risen as he said. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He lives today. He lives. The question is, does he live in your mind though? Does he live in your life? Oh, he's our hope, no doubt. But do you wake up each morning with a living Savior? Every morning, do you wake up with a living Savior? 
Do you live each day with a living Savior? Do you lay your head on the pillow at night with a living Savior? It's not enough that he rose from the dead unless he's alive in your life. You say, well, I'm saved at least. That's good. But can I tell you, in the day in which we live, we need a living Savior. We need the reality of Christ in our life. We need more than just the promise that he rose or the word of God that says he rose. We need a evidence of it in our own heart, in our own lives. The reality of Christ. Is he alive in your mind? Is he alive in your marriage? Is he alive in your, as you face your mission in life? You know, Jesus, it seems in many cases, is just a mere afterthought or a safety net. Our minds are often preoccupied or consumed with everything but the master. I wonder, do you forget, or when you were married, did you ever forget you were married? I mean, did you forget to talk to your spouse? I just forgot. I forgot I was married today. I forgot to talk to my spouse. Is that how it works? I don't think so. I mean, you may avoid your spouse, <laughs> you may neglect your spouse, but you didn't forget that you're married. You know, we're quick to say things like, you know, I forgot to speak to the Lord today. I forgot to read my Bible. I forgot to pray. I forgot I was saved. <laughs> we won't say that, but that's, I mean, isn't that really what we're saying? We entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Man, I don't care how dark the day is today. It doesn't matter how disparaging or discouraging it may appear in our world and the culture we live in. Man, Jesus Christ is alive today, and he lives in us. But we as believers can still live our lives. Even though we have a resurrected Savior, we can live our lives as though he's dead. But he is alive today. Not only that, I, I don't know, I mean, not only a real Savior, not only a resurrected Savior, but a returning Savior. I mean, is it enough that he died and rose again? Apparently it's not, because he also promised to return for us as well. Look in John 14, verse 1 through 3. Again, these are some of my favorite passages. I, these are some of the favorite passages in the Bible that I love. John 14, 1 through 3. <clears throat> John 14, verse 1 through 3, of course, he speaks to his disciples and he says, let not your heart be troubled. Now, I don't know about you, but they were facing a, a very difficult time. And the truth is, is that if we're not careful, we can feel extremely overwhelmed with our particular day, time, and place. For instance, I mean, just the stress right now, honestly, and, and, I, and I'm not saying this because I'm trying to say that there's no validity to this COVID at all. I'm not, I'm not doing that. But can I tell you, please, if my experience is as, is as any sense of normalcy, and I'm 57 years old, if my experience of the COVID has any validity or is in any way picturesque of what it is for others, my friend, you have no reason to be afraid. I'm just going to let you know that right now. Now, I understand 
that there are issues. I get that. And if you have underlying issues, you have high blood pressure, you're obese, you have issues with, with uh, high blood pressure or, or some kind of issues like that, I get that there's potential for real problems. But, but, but my friends, I want you to also think about this, that 40 to 50% of all the deaths were in nursing homes across the country. Now, let's, we, we have to use some common sense here, folks. But even so, if we're not careful, we face each day with fear in our hearts. We live our lives on eggshells today, it seems. We're watching our political situation fall to pieces. We're watching the, this issue. I mean, honestly, <clears throat> can you imagine with me a moment if this element of the new Green Deal goes through financially in our country, how it's going to affect our country? Can you even wrap your mind around what it's supposedly going to cost do you even have a concept or clue? There are people telling us that if we don't act in 10 years, we're done. We don't act in 12 years, we're done. There were young people that were going around three or four years ago saying, in 10 years, the whole planet will implode if we don't start doing something today about global warming. Can I tell you, we're still okay? The only thing that's being accomplished in my mind from what I can tell is that there is continual reaching out for control. And if they can fear, make you afraid of something, my friend, then you will be more apt to listen to them and do what they say. Now listen, as a believer, we are not citizens necessarily of this earth. That is a secondary citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven today. And we are not to be ruled, in a sense, by fear or by any other I, I choose my words kindly, uh, leader. Our leadership is in heaven. We better be careful that we don't allow ourselves to fall into this sense of depression like the world is. More people today are seeing psychologists and psychiatrists than ever before. This COVID has brought us into a state of depression that is affecting uh, the mental health of so many Americans. We are so weak need mentally and emotionally today that the, I'm telling you, it is so sad to watch people falling apart over something that has been, as they put it, the pandemic. Now, folks, listen. You go ahead and live in fear if you want, but I'm telling you, he's alive today. I'm telling you that Jesus Christ is still alive today. You can go ahead and allow the media and the world around you to cast this horrible black cloud over your head, and you can wake up tomorrow morning as scared to death about what might happen or take place. You can worry about who's going to win the election. You can be worried about what the direction our politics is going to go and our policies are going to go. My friend, God doesn't want us in fear. He gives us the spirit of, of a sound mind. I'm not going to let it happen because he lives today. He lives and I don't care who's on the throne in America or who's on the throne in China or who's on the throne in the Senate. I'm going to trust God today. He's alive and he lives. And we got to start letting him live in our lives. Put him on that throne and leave him on the throne. And every day you wake up, remember he's alive. Give him time. Give him attention. Spend time in his word. Spend time on our knees. Spend time talking to God. Spend time fellowshipping with the Lord. 
Shut the television off. Get off the phone. Let's stop watching every video that pops up. Listen, I have been so consumed with them stupid YouTube videos. And if I'm not careful, I find myself frustrated and angry and upset and bothered and burdened. And I have to say, what's the point? Because these are going to believe the way they believe. These are going to believe the way they believe. And the truth is, I'm just going to be a mess if I let it. I'm just going to keep my face buried in the book. I'm going to keep my mind focused on Christ. I don't care about every situation and circumstance and what everybody thinks and believes because I've got a God who is truth. And I'm going to focus on what he says. And I'm going to run my family, my life, my ministry based on what he says, not what the world says. Because he's alive today. We've got a wonderful Savior. He's a real Savior. He's a resurrected Savior. He's a returning Savior. Can I tell you, he lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. And he walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Who will you let live in your heart? Who will you let reign in your heart? He's alive, but does he reign and rule? Is he alive in your life? I wonder, are you saved this morning? You know Christ is your Lord and Savior. He died for you. He was buried and he rose again. He did that all because he loves you, because he wants to see you escape the penalty of sin. Only Jesus is the propitiation for sin. Only Jesus is the acceptable sacrifice of a holy, righteous God. And he stood in your place, and he paid for your sin that day on Calvary. And he says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll call upon him, if you'll trust and receive him, he'll accept you and he'll forgive you. Are you separated unto him today? Have you given your life to him first? Are you serving him today? Are you satisfied in Christ today? If, if, if any of those are not true, then you're not enjoying the benefit of a resurrected Savior like you ought to be. He might and has been, without a doubt, resurrected. He is alive. But if you're not experiencing all of those things in some area, some way, he's not alive in your life today. I don't, I don't know about you, but what I do know is this. The world's looking more grim to me than ever. I want to keep my eyes on him. Because as long as they're on him, I feel pretty good. I'm all right as long as they're on him. It's when I get them off of him that this stuff weighs me down. So let's keep our eyes on a living Savior, a resurrected Savior today. Father, we come to you. We're so grateful for all you mean to us. Lord, we, we can all get somewhat discouraged. We can all find ourselves somewhat down in the mouth if we allow ourselves to focus on the circumstances that we see our families, our country in, I should say, first and foremost, our world in. 
But Lord, we don't have to be consumed with that. We don't have to allow that to rule us. We don't have to let our emotions take charge. We simply need to trust you. We need to keep our eyes on you and your word. We need to believe in your truths and know that we have hope as believers. May we be a wonderful example of a people who can find hope and find light in a world that is filled with darkness. May the world see us and say, we want to be like you. We want the hope that you have. And that hope is found in a person, Jesus Christ. May we love people. May we care about others. May we not ostracize or isolate ourselves from the people that need us most. And Lord, many times those are the ones that disagree with us most. May we love them and may we seek them out and share with them the only one that can help them, and that's you. We may never see eye to eye on issues, but Lord, we need to see eye to eye on you, the Savior. Father, help us to be bold with the gospel. Lord, if there be any that are without you this morning that have never trusted or received you as Savior, and Lord, may they settle that even today. And Lord, may others in this room make a commitment to you to say, you know what? I'm going to make sure that I remember how alive you are, not just from a grave, but in my life. Every day I wake up, I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to think of you. I'm going to meditate on you. Throughout the day, I'm going to think of you, meditate on you. Throughout the night, before I go to bed, I'm going to think about you, meditate on you, speak to you. Father, help us to truly remember that you live that you're alive today. We'll thank you in Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed.